Hello, and welcome to episode 62 of On Liberty, coming to you live from the Center for Independent Studies in Sydney, Australia. I'm your host, Salvatore Bobonis, and joining me today is multi-award-winning journalist and author Eud Yari, visiting expert at the Australia, Israel, and Jewish Affairs Council. Eud Yari, how are you? Fine, thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, I'd like to start out with Israeli politics, something that you know those of us on the outside it's a complete mystery <laughs> to us, and hopefully you can shed some light on it. We all know that Benjamin Netanyahu is, is finally out of office after, I think, more than a decade scraping through and somehow staying in power. What can we expect from the new prime minister, Naftali Bennett? Um, yes, yeah, thank you, uh, Salvatore. Uh, Mr. Bennett uh, is going to be uh, prime minister for a limited period, according to the coalition deal made between eight different parties, extreme right, extreme left, and an Arab party, which is very close to the Muslim Brotherhood. A very strange combination, which we never had before. According to this deal, Mr. Bennett will be uh, uh, prime minister for 18 months, and then he will be uh, uh, replaced by the current foreign minister, uh, Mr. Yair Lapid. Um, it's very difficult to reach consensus uh, or even obtain majority uh, in a government which consists of so many different uh, parties. And this is the bet of Mr. Netanyahu. He is now regrouping, he's not uh, fading out. He's storing the liquid, his party's uh, uh, branches, uh, recruiting more members to the party because he believes that the government will not hold more than a year or so. I'm not sure he's right uh, because they have managed now to pass a budget which he could, couldn't and wouldn't do uh, for the past uh, few years, uh, but he's counting uh, on early elections. Um, one more word, if I may, Mr. Bennett, who is uh, on the far right, uh, is proving over the past few weeks that he's becoming much more flexible on many issues, including COVID. Uh, and he's uh, uh, seeking, for example, uh, a renewed dialogue and understandings with the Palestinian Authority. Right. I mean, from a policy standpoint, is there really any difference between Bennett and Netanyahu? I mean, they were at one point partners. Isn't that true? Yes. Bennett uh, started his political career. He comes from high tech. Uh, he made what we call an exit, uh, made a few million dollars uh, and uh, uh, served out of ideological conviction as chief of staff of, of Bibi when Bibi was still in opposition. So uh, there is a very close acquaintance between, between these two, but not much friendship. Uh, uh, Bennett was always critical of Bibi's reluctance uh, to um, uh, take measures towards annexation or strengthening Israeli hold on the West Bank. He was critical of the way that uh, Bibi was running uh, confrontations with uh, Hamas uh, in the Gaza Strip. 
But now, as happens very often, what you see, we have a saying in Hebrew, what you see from here, the prime minister's office, you didn't see from there, the opposition benches. Uh, and you see a remarkable change in his attitude. And just for anyone who, who may be a little lost, uh, Bibi is the nickname for Benjamin Netanyahu. Where, where does that nickname come from, by the way? Um, that's the way they used to, to uh, uh, ref uh, call him when he was a child in Jerusalem. Oh. <laughs> he had a reputation of being the strongest kid in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, later was Commando, by the way, Bennett too, in the same unit. They are both come, coming from the elite Israeli version of the SAS. Like another prime minister before, uh, Mr. Ehud uh, uh, Barak. Uh, the, uh, one second. We'll let him silence his phone there for a second. Uh, it is, I'm, I'm oh, sorry. no problem, <laughs> no problem at all. Uh, look, uh, there, uh, so it, it, it's really interesting that connection between uh, elite military service and leadership in Israel. Is, is that something that's limited to the conservative side of Israeli politics or something that pervades the entire system? Oh, no, usually uh, um, uh, left-wing parties, for example, were also uh, keen on having successful generals, uh, prestigious uh, generals like the late Yitzhak Rabin, um, I'm sorry about that, taking, uh, uh, taking the parties. So we had quite a few ex-chiefs uh, of staff of the army uh, in charge. And this is uh, true also for, uh, for the right. In recent years, one can notice that the appeal of generals in politics uh, has uh, declined. And parties on both ends of the political spectrum are looking for um, different kind of uh, leadership. Mr. Bennett is, is a good example because uh, he was a junior officer in the army. And Mr. Lapid, the next prime minister, who is the strongman in this coalition, is somebody who served uh, his compulsory service in the army as a correspondent for the army's weekly. <laughs> that's, that's a funny route to leadership, but uh, a well-trodden one in uh, England, certainly. Um, uh, look, there's been another election in the area, and that's in Iran, where I believe Abraham Raisi is going to take office as president tomorrow. Iran looms very large in Israeli politics. Could you walk our viewers through, you know, why is Iran so important for Israel? Iran is trying for years now to build a ring of fire, a wall of missiles, dozens of thousands of missiles, the best that they can uh, produce or obtain around Israel. They've done it with Hezbollah with 140,000 rockets and missiles in Lebanon. They are furnishing Hamas uh, first with the equipment, but now with the know-how uh, to produce um, more advanced, more precise uh, rockets, as we saw during the last uh, round of hostilities. They are trying to build a war machine of their own 
un-Syrian territory. And this is where you have the constant uh, uh, strikes by the Israeli Air Force against Iranian and Hezbollah targets trying to disrupt this effort. Um, but um, I must admit that, at least in my opinion, uh, it didn't stop the uh, Iranians and they are continuing without going into details. There is now a battle over the main city of southern Syria, which is quite close to Israel and practically on the border of Jordan. And I think it's going to be taken over by allies of Iran, which is, uh, is not good news for uh, Israel. Uh, I believe, I'm, I'm, I'm going straight to the, the, the hardcore. I believe that with the uh, uh, ascension of uh, Ibrahim Raisi to the presidency, uh, we are witnessing the completion of a process of transformation of the Islamic Republic. It's a transformation because from now on, the Islamic Republic is ruled by the Revolutionary Guard Corps and not by the mullahs. It's, it's dramatic, but it has taken so long that people they, uh, did not pay attention. And there are two recent developments in the past two weeks um, that do not get, in my humble opinion, enough attention in the international press certainly not in the American press. One, I believe that there are uh, good indications that uh, Iran does not intend to reach an agreement with the US on uh, resurrecting the JCPOA, the nuclear deal. There are, it's quite clear to me now that it will take almost a diplomatic miracle for a deal. That's a decision of the Iranians and the Supreme Leader. It's not worth it. We can go into the details, but it's not worth it. So this is uh, um, a situation, if it's true, then Mr. Biden is going to face a different uh, uh, lay of the land in the region. The second very important development in Iran is that they are coming to uh, making a declaration that their strategic patience, that was the motto of the Supreme Leader of the past few years is over. And you see the attacks on ships in the Gulf of Oman outside uh, the Persian Gulf. Uh, this is a different Iran. Now, let me take a, just a moment to say a quick hello to Anthony and Chris. Thanks for watching live. Any of you who are watching live, please do feel invited to get your questions into the chat window on YouTube and we will get to them as soon as we can. Uh, Abe, I was really interested to hear what you said about the conflict between the revolutionary guards in Iran and the mullahs in Iran. For, for those of us on the outside, we just, I think, think of all of this as the same thing, right? It's all Islamic fundamentalism, there's no difference. Could you explain to those of us, those of us who are not Iran experts, how this politics has evolved and what it means for the future? Um, power uh, has moved over the past two decades, gradually, from the hands of the clergy to the hands 
of their disciples, because most of the generals, the top commanders of, of the revolutionary uh, guards are, uh, have graduated from uh, religious seminaries, such as the Hakani Seminary in Qom uh, and others. And step-by-step step, power shifted from the hands of the mullahs who were not very capable in running a very complicated uh, state like Iran to the hands of the generals. So you have now a situation in which an organization, let's say the Revolutionary Guards count maybe 180,000 um, men in uniform, but they have around them uh, a whole field of economic uh, 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 companies, corporations, uh, etc., uh, to the to the uh, point that they really control much of the Iranian economy, certainly the sectors that, that, that count. So they are paying the respects to the clergy. Uh, they uh, uh, manifest loyalty to the rulings of the uh, uh, clergymen, but real power has moved to their hands. Uh, you could uh, maybe people noticed the speech of uh, the outgoing president Rouhani the other day. What did he say? He said parliament in Iran controlled by the revolutionary guards prevented me from renewing the deal with the US. And what does it mean for the, the, the JCPOA, the, the, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action on Iran's nuclear capabilities or the development of an Iranian nuclear bomb? What does it mean for this that the Revolutionary Guard are more in charge instead of the clerics? The Revolutionary Guards, um, were never enthusiastic uh, about the nuclear deal. They felt that uh, Iran should of a bomb. Uh, and uh, uh, they have uh, tried in almost any way possible to subvert the attempts of the administration of Rouhani with his smiling uh, foreign minister Zarif to get to an understanding with the Americans. It's a no-no for them. Uh, now uh, they feel that if negotiations were, were to continue with the Americans, then they have to negotiate not a renewal of the old agreement from 2015, but a new agreement which will take into account the advances that Iran made in its nuclear uh, preparations. This is unacceptable to the Americans and the Americans are setting their own terms. We have in fact reached a point where both parties, the US and Iran are saying, we have to negotiate a different deal, but they cannot agree on what type, type of a deal. Uh, thanks for that. And let me remind everyone that the CIS is a membership-supported organization, so there's no government money involved and no sponsored research at the Center for 
independent studies. What keeps the CIS independent is the support of members like you. So there is that support link in the chat box. We'd love to have a contribution if you're in a position to offer one. Uh, Eud, we have a question from Chris about the likelihood of further attacks by the Israeli Defense Forces on Iran's nuclear facilities. Now, that's assuming that the previous attacks have been orchestrated by Israel. Could you shed some light on this? The, the Israel's security uh, relationship with Iran and the likelihood of future Israeli attacks potentially on Iran itself? Well, uh, since I'm not an uh, official, um, I can uh, probably uh, be very open about it. There is no doubt that uh, the Israelis, both the uh, army and the intelligence uh, agencies were doing a lot, uh, attempting to disrupt, uh, slow down uh, the uh, Iranian uh, nuclear program. Um, it's clear to the Iranians, I'm quoting the Iranians now, that there is a, a presence going for years of Israeli intelligence uh, in force uh, within Iran, uh, which uh, uh, manifested itself in the attacks on installations like Natanz, in the assassination of nuclear scientists. The last of them was the head of the nuclear for, uh, program, uh, Fakhri Zadeh, uh, in the uh, uh, stealing the nuclear archive from uh, the, the center of uh, uh, Tehran, etc., and the Israeli army is mounting uh, attacks on the Iranians in Syria, as I've mentioned before, and also acts against uh, Iranian shipments at sea, uh, which has broadened the scope of the um, uh, collision. I personally believe that uh, the Israelis are uh, whoever is the prime minister. And if the Israelis uh, reach the conclusion that the Iranians are getting close to a bomb, they will act. Now, to give an example, if you go to, to have vacation, not these days, in Europe, you go to Sardinia, you go to Bulgaria, you go to Greece, many other places, you will see squadrons of the Israeli Air Force. What are they doing there? They are training, training on this distance of 1,500 kilometers that they have to go in order to reach the Iranian nuclear installations uh, uh, in Iran. It's, it's, it's important to note that uh, the Israeli government uh, has just approved a significant uh, amount of additional uh, budget for the military for preparations uh, for Iran. And the chief of staff, General Kohavi, uh, in one, on one occasion, uh, said there are three options, uh, a bigger one, a medium-sized attack, or a small one, which the Israeli army has been preparing for for years. I hope we don't get there, but it may happen. Now, of course, in the Western press, and particularly in the American press, we focus so much on the Israel-Iran 
conflict the relationship because it has the potential to flare up because of its political sensitivity for many Americans and other Westerners. But Iran, of course, also has relations with other Eurasian powers. Uh, and we have a question from Christopher about what extent Russia will cooperate with Iran. And I may broaden that out to ask, to what extent is China cooperating with Iran? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think in Syria, for example, we see that the Russians uh, rely on Iranian uh, uh, proxies that provide the infantry for the small contingent of the Russian Air Force that is active uh, in Syria. So there is very close cooperation. On the other hand, we see a lot of competition between the Iranians and the Russians over all sorts of economic uh, advantages in Syria, whatever remains there. Uh, and the Russians are not so happy about the Iranians' activity close to Israel's and Jordan's uh, border. I think the, the, um, what's, what's the main issue now is Afghanistan. I mean, the immediate issue is Afghanistan. And uh, the Iranians, who were no friends of the Taliban in the past, certainly not. They viewed them as adversaries, even as enemies. Uh, they are trying to mend fences with the Taliban. Seems that they have a degree of success in that. But more important, we see China um, reaching understandings with the Taliban and the Taliban apparently already committing themselves not to support um, the uh, Uyghur uh, or, uh, organizations uh, in Xinjiang. Um, what I think we may see, that's my suspicion, is we will see in uh, Afghanistan, China stepping in into the void, Iran stepping in in the east around Herat, as at first, and a, a sort of a set of understandings between China, Iran, and Pakistan over how they are going to handle um, the Taliban, assuming the Taliban will, will reach Kabul at one point, I'm not sure, but this will leave India in a very awkward situation and also the United States and others. We have a follow-up question from Bruce about uh, US-Iran relations. He says, John Bolton wanted the US to strike Iran after its attacks on shipping, but Trump stepped back from that. Why does the Biden administration want to reinstate the JCPOA despite continuing Iranian provocations? I believe that uh, the team Biden himself, uh, he was a strong supporter of uh, the JCPOA at the time, uh, to the point of uh, threatening the uh, APAC, the Jewish lobby in the United States, uh, and, and his team, I happen to know uh, some of them uh, quite well, believe that uh, a, a deal is a better way to slow down Iran or even prevent it from moving forward towards uh, assembling a bomb than a military action. This is open for debate. 
but you have a strong conviction there. I believe that uh, over the past months, um, the uh, uh, Washington has understood that the Iranians are not going to play ball so easily. And they may not be interested in a deal at all. What do you do at that point? Last week, we had uh, William Maley, an Afghan, uh, Afghanistan expert, as our guest. And he was telling us about the Taliban strategy of taking over customs posts on the borders. And I believe the Taliban now control the main customs post on the Iranian border. Uh, the Maybe on the north. Yeah. Oh, okay. The, uh, those of us uh, you know, who are outside the region have a very basic level understanding that uh, in Islam, there's a, there's a split between Shia Islam and Sunni Islam, and that Iran is at odds with Sunni countries like Pakistan because of this split. Of course, the Taliban are Sunni Muslims aligned with Pakistan. Uh, Pakistan itself has a nuclear bomb. How much should we make of the Sunni-Shia split? I mean, is a potential Iranian bomb as much directed at Pakistan as it is directed potentially at Israel? How important is this religious split for geopolitics in the region? Uh, I personally have uh, been convinced for many years that there is some exaggeration um, concerning the uh, political uh, significance of the religious divide between these two schools of Islam. An example is that the Muslim Brotherhood, Sunnis, were the first supporters of the Shiite Islamic revolution uh, in Iran. Uh, what I think we, 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 we will happen is if the Iranians go get closer to the bomb, you will see Turkey, Sunni, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, maybe even tiny UAE trying to go uh, to take the nuclear paths. Uh, and the second thing is because uh, the Iranians too do not like um, uh, Middle East or Middle East mushrooming with uh, nuclear bombs, uh, they may want to be a screwdriver away from the bomb, but not go for a test. That would be a very, very difficult situation because the Biden administration is saying that they would not let Iran uh, become a nuclear power or acquire nuclear capability. But it's very worrying that they don't define what does it mean becoming a nuclear state because there are many shades of gray here. We have uh, two quick questions before we end. We are rapidly running out of time, but we do have a question from Leor. I said, Shalom Ehud. I would like to hear your thoughts on the pressures placed on Israeli-Western relations due to increased activism attempting to alienate Israel from its allies, or probably more accurately, trying to alienate Israel's historical allies from Israel. Is um, this a real threat? I believe so. I believe that uh, Israel has neglected uh, its, uh, uh, its PR. 
um, it's partly because our foreign ministry was neglected for many years. Um, and we have to do a lot about that. But also, we should be going, and I believe this is what we will see in the coming year, uh, if the government, the current government remains, is attempt to strike interim deals with the Palestinians. That's possible, uh, which would probably um, uh, improve the situation. But I think this is a, a real challenge uh, for Israel and should be a top priority. Thanks. And if we can in, impose on you for just a few more minutes, we did have a question from Christopher uh, about the returning to Israeli politics. In, in spite of the apparent chaos in the Knesset, is it true that the center right in Israel has a clear overall majority? And thus, in principle, once those personality conflicts may eventually get set aside, there is a governing consensus in Israel. Christopher is absolutely right. Um, there is a solid majority of uh, center or even right of center. Um, the divide in Israel over the past few years was, are you with Bibi or against? Are you with Mr. Netanyahu staying in power or against? And the coalition that was formed now, the government that we have now is a government representing all those, including those on the right side of the map who wanted Bibi out. But uh, the morning after Bibi, uh, when he departs politics at one point, um, there is a clear right-wing majority in Israel, I would say to the tune of easily 60%. Well, Eujari, thank you for sharing your insights. Thank you for joining us today on On Liberty. My thanks, Shen. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you also to Nico Malian, our producer, executive producer, Max Hawk Weaver, the director of CIS's Tom Switzer. Thanks all of you for watching. Next week, join us to hear Jordan Williams on uh, of the New Zealand Taxpayer Alliance to talk about the New Zealand economy. I'm Salvatore Babonis, and I hope you will see us next week on On Liberty.